1: This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. This is the Custard TV
2: podcast. Been away for a while, but we're back now. I'm Luke. Uh, I run the website that you may have visited, thecustardtv.com. Matt's here in the northern area. Hello. And from Waitrose Weekly, we knew we had to get someone on from it at some point. It's Paul Kirkley. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good morning. You've just had to take your kids off their devices because the Skype call was dropping. What are they going to do with themselves now?
3: I don't know. I think they're just going kind to of wander, kind of looking <laughs> shell shocked and w- w- wondering what children used to do. Um, I honestly don't know, but it's quite a useful social experiment, I suppose. I'll be interested to find out. They might have completely changed
2: personalities by the end and run through fields of buttercups and the like by by the by the end of the hour, <laughs> yeah. taking up fishing and everything. <laughs> we can but hope.
1: Luke and Matt.
2: This could be a
0: podcast.
2: A podcast.
0: Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can
1: make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com.
2: This is the podcast uh, for TV lovers by three. TV obsessives, Uh, we've got four shows to discuss as always, and then at the end, uh, to test just how well he knows his television, Paul will take on Boxmaster, with Matt setting the questions this week, how do you feel your TV knowledge is, let's set the bar as far as how well you think you're going to do at that at the end.
3: Because it's about TV, I'm I'm, going to say I'm quietly confident, if it was about anything important, then less so, (laughs) but uh, yeah, telly, telly I can do. Okay, good. Well,
2: we'll get to that at the end. Four shows to talk about, but we got a big social media question because Game of Thrones finished and uh, a lot of people were disappointed. So that made us set the question of which TV series ending very nearly put you off the whole show. Uh, Matt, let's start with you first. Do you have an answer to this?
4: I think for me it's got to be How I Met Your Mother. You know, they they had an end point when they started the show... But then the show evolved and you had Barney and Robin become almost sort of the central couple. The, the story of the mother changed a little bit as well, but they still had this pre film scene at the end and they wanted yeah. to use it and it felt like it changed everything they'd been working up to, especially since that final season was all set around Barney and Robin's wedding and then at the end, oh no, Ted and Robin got together.
2: I was going to pick that as well and I'll tell you what annoyed me more about it was the fact that throughout the show they had narration from Bob Saget and then at the end of it they just had the guy who was playing the lead just aged up a bit. Yeah, it just aged up a bit. No mention it, it didn't turn into Bob Saget in the intervening years. He just aged up a bit. It
3: was really weird. It's it's not the final ending, but something fresh in the memory would be the end of the recent uh, Line of Duty Series 5. Uh, I would um, agree with which that, was, yeah. I think a lot a lot of people felt the same way with the whole uh, uh, dot, 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 dot nonsense. Dot, dot doing um, all the dots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah and that just everybody just kind of went what sorry uh, you know, you know Jed Mercurio is a genius but even he has an off day and uh, you know I've invested six weeks of my life in that and then and that's what he gives me at the end so he's really going to have to um, raise his game next year
2: the h thing didn't go anywhere really did it? that was the real disappointment even the bbc were plugging away who is h you know when is h going to be revealed and then at the end, there wasn't an answer to that. No,
3: and the fact that it was never going to be him. I think, to to be fair, Jed Mercurio kind of answered this question by saying, well, you weren't supposed to think that he was H, but you were supposed to worry that he might get fitted up for being H, but I'm not sure all that entirely. Uh, pulled that off, really.
2: What did the people on the internet that I've never met said, Matt?
4: Okay, I suppose we should say spoilers for these as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean, we could start with Mo Walker because he also says "How I Met Your Mother." The the show was ultimately "How I Met Your Stepmother." The mother, who was very a very likable character, was treated like a speed bump on the road to Ted and Robin. Star-crossed liaison. That's a nice Twitter handle. Said. Lost was the worst ending because Kate and Sawyer belonged together. Uh, Joe McGrath says a recent one, Godless, on Netflix. Loved the series, but the last episode was totally cliched and a huge disappointment. Core Extra Podcast just says The Sopranos. N- no no detail on that. Um, yeah. Former guest of the show, Sophie Davis, says Dexter. Michael Fisher, an, an odd one, Picnic at Hanging Rock. And then he just says, enough said, which, which I would have liked him to have said more. <laughs> yeah, so, it's said not enough
2: said, no. <laughs>
1: um,
4: Pablo's Vault of Horror says, wow. um, Battlestar Galactica remake, if they'd had a couple more episodes to flesh it out, could have worked. But as it was, left a bad taste in the mouth um, in, what, in what was up until then a delicious three-course meal. Erin uh, says uh, Luther uh, another recent uh, finale yeah, I have a yeah, lot I of love see. for that show but the final episode of series 5 just ruined everything mm. I think we agreed with that didn't we that I was our first agreed, podcast yeah. back this year EastEnders Weekly podcast at EastEnders Week said uh, the final episode of HBO Girls was a huge letdown for me it was just meh Um <laughs> And I and I think their their rival podcast, the Talk of the Street at Cory Podcast.
2: We can start off a war here. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: said again, said how I met your mother. Um, I. This is an odd one because they said they pretty much hated the series from start to finish, which isn't really the point of the. Why thing. do
2: people but, do that? I don't understand why they would watch something they absolutely detest all the way through for nine years. I,
4: I suppose if it was if it was one of the people who just sort of watched it on e four of of an evening because yeah. it was just yeah. there was nothing else on. And finally, Palm at Palm by the Sea says, um, lost, always lost, but then also says, ashes to ashes kind of suck too. But no, that's a good one, actually, ashes to ashes. But that was a hard one to sort of end, because you had to sort of end
2: the Gene Hunt universe,
4: really, didn't yeah. you? The the Life on Mars
2: universe. I thought that was quite clever, the ending of that. But um, mm. yeah, I can, I can appreciate that some people would. I think the end of Life on Mars was more of a disappointment, because... They ended that too prematurely, I think. The the end of
4: the US life on Mars was
2: even worse. Oh, where they were on a spaceship. Yeah, that was even better. Okay, thanks for that. We'll have another social media question next week for for you to get in touch with. Always appreciate you getting in touch. Right then, the reviews this week. We've got Killing Eve, which is finally back on the BBC on Saturday nights and is all there for you to binge, should you want to, on the iPlayer. We've got The Return of Black Mirror. We've got new Amazon Prime show Good Omens and Netflix's gritty drama When They See Us. Why don't we start, though, with the one that everybody's been waiting for? It's been on everywhere else in the world, but now we've finally got it. It's Killing Eve. Paul, what what has your relationship been like with the first series of Killing Eve, were you as obsessed with it as everyone else?
3: I watched the first episode, you know, kind of for money. And then and then I, I kind of had a long break before I got back to uh, to the next one. And then I and then I kind of binged it in one um huge hit like most people did I think. Forty-six million I player requests, I think, for wow. Killing Eve series one, well, which is incredible, isn't it? I, I kind of devoured every outrageous uh, twi- twist and turn of it, really. So yeah, I was I was fully psyched for it for season two.
2: And this season picks up pretty much moments after Eve stabbed Villanelle in her Paris apartment, and the two go their separate ways. With Eve trying to distance herself from Villanelle, and Villanelle probably at her most vulnerable and desperate trying to stem her bleeding whilst getting to a hospital, whilst also not being found by anybody and having to answer questions about her wound. Now, what we know about this new series is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge has stepped down, called The Midwife's Emerald for Now, has come in. Uh, we say we watched the first two. I struggled with it because I've seen all eight and the story goes all over the place, but just for this second... As these first two, what were your initial thoughts, Paul? Did you enjoy it? Was it on the same level, do you think? Or could you tell there was a bit of a change I, at the top?
3: I thought it was. I, I, I couldn't um, really notice any particular tonal shift. In fact, what, what happens, as people will probably know by now, is that kind of very quickly from this Paris-based drama, it kind of shifts into a sort of uh, misery in Basildon, doesn't it? Which is uh, quite an interesting left turn. <laughs> and uh, with the uh, Julian Barrett's character kind of keeping uh, Villanelle almost hostage in his in his mother's ninety. you know, I thought it was kind of an interesting new direction. This may be controversial. It's possibly my favourite um, Killing Eve episode of all—the one that's set, sort of set in that house in Basildon.
2: Ooh, that is perhaps controversial. You um, didn't
3: like it, did you, Luke?
2: I've seen it twice now uh, because I'm a professional, and I rewatched it for this podcast and actually i I did enjoy it more, but I think it to me it felt like something that that wouldn't have happened in series one, and I didn't quite believe that even though she's in a vulnerable state, that Villanelle would have just taken this line down. I know she's 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 suffering a lot, but i just I thought it took too long for her to take her revenge. I thought the introduction of Adrian Scarborough as a new handler was well well done I think where where the series falls apart for me, and I don't know. I'm sure you're both going to continue, is that we meet in this second episode uh, the new colleagues of Eve and uh, they don't f- really feel as well-drawn as some of the colleagues like um, like David Haig's character last series and Kirby Hal baptiste who's left to stay in the US and do The Good Place. Those two new characters have a lot of screen time this series and they don't feel... As well drawn, they feel more caricature than character. But Matt, how did you feel going back in? Was it easy to step back into killing Eve?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think I enjoyed, um, as Paul said, the second episode. I felt that the first episode was quite a lot of sort of establishing and setting. Yeah. I think Villanelle in the hospital with the with the young boy who'd been in the car accident. I thought that was more interesting than Eve going back to her life. There was some quite interesting bits funny bits in there you know when she's in the train station bar and someone thinks she's an addict um, and yeah. and and the um buying the really expensive windows i quite like that but i i think the the being in the in the hospital with villanelle her wearing those sort of superhero pajamas the 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 snapping of the neck as well which was a real shock and i think yeah. looking at twitter last night a lot of people sort of had that same reaction i think that was the big moment if you will of that first episode because there was a lot of sort of bridging of the of the series you know setting up what we're investigating now in the second series and i think then this second episode i really liked it as well paul i thought the as you said the misery type thing where he's sort of trapping her in this house locking all the doors her sort of struggling to get out and i think it was believable that she is suffering these injuries and she's limited to what she can do at the moment you know she's not at her full capacity the only thing that didn't sort of sit well and because they filmed it a while ago is that they're watching jeremy kyle which obviously wouldn't be (laughs) what they were watching now um but no i I can see what you mean about these characters that eve's working with now you know they don't seem fully as fully drawn as as the the team in the first in the first season i have enjoyed the the episodes i've seen as, as far but you know i i've seen luke that you're not the only person to have that sort of similar feeling for the people who've seen the whole um, season. Why?
0: Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details, T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. I
2: shan't, I shan't do it to you both, but I could say a sentence that would possibly tell you why I feel the way I do about this this series as a whole. But I'm not gonna do it. But in fairness to Emerald Fennell, to have to pick up where your main one of your main characters has been stabbed by the other one, it's not exactly an easy place to pick up from. So I think that first episode had a lot to do.
3: What was quite interesting in that first episode was the way, even though um, Villanelle was the victim and Eve was the kind of perpetrator of that, she, uh, Villanelle was kind of more in control than Eve was. Eve was the one that was completely unraveling, wasn't she? Um, yeah. You know, making no, no rosemary chicken without the chicken and all that. <laughs> Villanelle quickly kind of regained her composure. And uh, yeah, the scenes in the hospital, I thought I thought were really good with the, with the kid where the kid was going, you know, you're funny, and she's, she's so deadpan, isn't she, Jodie oh, Comer? She went, yes, I am funny. And then well, when, I... when you mentioned the where she twisted his neck there, I mean, it, it, was, it was a strange one, because it, it was a mercy killing in a way, but a mercy mm. killing you suspect she rather enjoyed.
2: Yeah, well, she hadn't killed anyone for a while, so she was due a good kill, yeah. I think. What I should say is, despite my my sort of feelings about this series as a whole, which we might talk about later on when we get to the eighth episode, but I still think that Jodie Comer, Fiona Shaw and Sandra Oh are just brilliant, whether they're together, whether they're off in their own thing, they, they, those actors just can do anything and that material allows uh, Jodie Comer especially to play about with accents, To play, up. she's almost playing several characters in the same episode and she's just... It's just effortless
3: from her. I don't know any other actor that could pull it off. But what I find what's interesting is the whole thing is very cartoonish, very Mm. ridiculous. You know, it's beautifully, wittily, stylishly made hokum, isn't it? Yeah. And I I was really fascinated that it was nominated for 14 BAFTAs and won five of them. You know, it's outrageously silly and divorced from reality kind of show. I mean there is precedent for that. I know that Doctor Who won the BAFTA in the year of its farting aliens and burping wheelie bins. So it's not that BAFTA are always very serious, but I I thought, God, if this gets 14 nominations, what's Chernobyl going to get next, next year? It's going to be the British Academy of Film and Chernobyl Arts, I think. you, you know what you I mean? The 14. Shooter. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> Oddly enough, I, I, I spoke with a, a TV writer that I sort of go back and forth in private message with on Twitter, and he really enjoyed it as well. But he said to me, do you think it's a really good drama series, or is it just fun? And I actually didn't have an answer for that.
3: I think it's definitely compelling. You know, if you're saying drama, does it, you know, does it speak to something about our lives? Does it, you know, does it enrich our lives? That kind of, I don't know if I'd put it in that category. It is, you know, It's. know, it's, it's more 24, isn't it? Than, I, than I, think the that,
4: I think the characters are very well drawn. The, you know, the characters of Eve and Villanelle, I think they're well drawn. You know, but especially Eve in the first series, sort of going from the sort of mundanity of her life to being drawn into this sort of world of espionage and things like that. You know, and I I think there is an element of reality in there. As you say, the Nigella chicken, the the, the being mm-hmm. on the on the phone to the to the double glazing salesman for, for hours. Things like there's little moments like that, the, the scene in the laundrette in the second episode as well, where she sort of wakes up and, and finds all of her drugs are gone. Just little moments like that compared with the sort of the heightenedness of, you know, the, the more um, extravagant scenes yeah. and the, and the scenes of the killing and things like that. I think they slot in together quite well. And it is, yeah I, it, it, I agree that, that's the joy of it isn't it yeah and I, I think it's the it is more of a sort of yeah an action drama but I think it does work within its sort of genre it, you it, you could almost feel like it was adapted from sort of a graphic novel I know it's sort of adapted from like novellas isn't it um, yeah. but it, it feels as you say very heightened very glossy very silly in places but I think yeah. that's that's part of the joy of it. And I think if we didn't have that sort of variety in our drama, I think if it was all, as you say, like something like The Virtues or When They See Us, which we'll be talking about in a minute, I think, you know, it would be a very gloomy place. I think we need shows yeah. like Killing Eve to counterbalance the more sort of darker dramas that we see as well. Well, that is all
2: there on the iPlayer now, all eight episodes. We already know as well that Series 3 has been commissioned in the States and the BBC have already said, yeah, we've bought that. What I find fascinating is that it airs in America. I don't know anyone in America who would have any concept of Basildon and yet it it just (laughs) sticks these characters there and it just fascinates me that America's obsessed with it as well. Okay, so why don't we talk about When They See Us, as you mentioned it, this is on Netflix, Matt. Do you want to walk us through the sort of the the important bits about this, and then we'll. Oh, talk oh
4: about I'll I'll try. I mean, I, I watched it last night, so it's quite fresh in my mind. This is basically the um, the telling of the uh, Central Park Five um, case. I believe it goes over. 30 years it's sort of like the 30th um anniversary of this it's based on an event where a um a lady jogger was brutally beaten and, and raped in central park and several youths of color were arrested for the crimes this first episode very much looks at how the police bullied statements out of them so they incriminated other members of the group, other people who were in the vicinity of the time, to almost get them to admit that they'd committed these crimes, you know, threatening parents with revealing things about their past so they would lose their jobs, things like that. At the centre of it, you've got the character played by um, Felicity Huffman, who's very intent on getting these convictions proving her her point about violent sex crimes and things like that and then i believe as it goes on we see them grow up and and their time in prison and things like that and i think ultimately they do get um, is it exonerated I'm not quite sure of the word but finally get pardoned don't they for because it's it's found out that somebody else did actually commit that crime.
2: Spoiler um, alert.
4: Spoiler alert <laughs> if you've <laughs> only seen the first. Time. it's in the public domain I yeah, suppose. I know. Famously um, Donald Trump called for the death penalty to be returned didn't he? Yeah these, then that these, comes um,
3: up in the second episode. Oh does it? We seem to be living through quite a purple patch for dramas that are brilliant but kind of um, gut wrenching, don't we? Mm, and the, um yeah. and this was another example of that. It is absolutely fantastic. Um it'd be hard to watch at times, isn't it? Those yeah. interrogation scenes where you mentioned, I mean, they call them police interviews. They were more like torture scenes, weren't they? They were just, just kind of beating these forced confessions out of them. And the way that whole families were drawn into it and, and people who were barely surviving, you know, parents barely keeping their heads above water and the police were basically threatening the dads with losing their jobs if their kids didn't sign these false confessions. Mm. Just really, really hard to watch but very compelling and, and as you mentioned Trump there you know, obviously he comes into the story and the whole thing feels, you know, horribly relevant to Trump's America, doesn't it?
2: It's so awful. And yet to think it happened in our lifetime and it happened in, in a country mm. that we sort of have such a close relationship to and we, we think of or we did think of until quite recently is quite moral, is just quite something but i I will say if i had to if i had to pick fault which i don't like to do because it is a, a powerful piece of television i don't know whether it did a good enough job for me to begin with i didn't really understand why these lads were being picked on outside of the color of their skin but i didn't really understand who they were or how they were implicated when i thought about it afterwards i'm not sure how much that matters because The police were just intent on on pinning this on somebody and they fit the profile. So maybe that was the whole point. I feel like you
4: only really get to know them. There's that final scene... Where they've sort of implicated each other, but they only meet each other when they're all in that holding cell at the end. And, and and I think that's when you're meant to go, Oh, that's that person, that's that person, that's that person. They did very little setup with each character other than saying, you know, this one quite likes baseball, this one plays the trumpet. You get very little setup before they all sort of descend on Central Park and then you get the aftermath after that.
2: You said, Paul, that it was powerful. Do you are you like me drawn to these more Powerful, sort of grisly, gut-wrenching pieces. Do you think we we sort of we're doing them better than we've ever done them? I wrote a piece recently about the virtues and Chernobyl, which are both really difficult to watch, but ultimately incredibly
3: rewarding. Yeah, you're right. That it feels like there's a you know with the virtues and Chernobyl, and even years and years to an extent, you know that a lot of it is kind of horrific to watch. Um, and yeah, and I I agree with Matt that it, you do need you need a mix. So it's season it's season- the you know with the sort of witty stylish kind of Killing Eve kind of stuff, but yeah, it's just it do seem to be yeah living through a, a real purple patch for it at, at the moment, which is which is fantastic and um, interesting that Felicity Hoffman as well should be should play the DA prosecutor mm. because obviously with her recent there's a kind of unintended resonance about white privilege there, isn't there? Mm. With, with yeah, I was thinking
4: had. I was thinking the same, wasn't it? you know she's been is it it's getting getting her child into college by Certain bribes and things like that, isn't it? Yes,
3: that's right. I thought a a, a nice touch was when they were running to the park at the beginning. They were playing uh, public enemies fight the power, which, of course, famously plays at the start of Spike Lee's uh, Do the Right Thing, which is another film about police brutality. And, And that was released just a few weeks after the events depicted here, so while Spike Lee was putting the finishing touches to that, this was actually going on in the same city, so I thought that was quite a nice little uh, little nod. I, I would
4: say to an extent, I did find this in places a little bit overwrought, you know, it wasn't a subtle piece, you know, there, there was bits during the police brutality where the music was very loud. It, it was sort of telling you how to feel about this to a certain extent, I felt. I almost felt like I was being led, my emotions were being led at times, which I don't think it needed.
3: Well, it, it, it's polemical, but then I, I, I guess, you know, you can't blame anyone if, if, if this kind of material is written in anger, in a way. Yeah, mm. I, I think it was mainly the other elements
4: of it. I think if you just had... You know the the interrogations in these rooms. I think that would have worked. I think you know there was the other elements, especially the music. I felt was very over dramatic and you know serious when he was serious, you know impending doom and things like that. I just that was the element that didn't quite work for me. I, I would say is the music, but I felt it was sort of beautifully shot as well. I mean it was it was filmed by uh, Bradford Young who has worked with Ava Devaney before on, on Selma. I felt it looked really good. I don't know. Paul, have you, watched, have you watched all of it? Have you watched more than the first episode? Or
3: I don't know this is a terrible confession to make. Um, uh, having watched the first episode, I skipped forward and watched the last episode because I just thought, because knowing the story, I thought I just kind of, I need to see the bit where they're exonerated. Mm. And, and, and because I know that the two hours in between are going to be painful and yeah. so I don't think that particularly reflects well on me that I couldn't you know some of them managed up to 14 years in prison and I couldn't even stay with them for four hours that you know I, I mm. appreciate that doesn't let me in a good life but I did just kind of need to see that bit where they you know where they walk out uh, so having done that maybe I could go back and and brace myself for the whole thing, but I was just like, yeah, I I skipped to the happy ending. I don't know if (laughs) that... I I, I get
4: that too, I do get that. Luke, what about you? Did you watch more than the
2: first one? I've been watching Chernobyl and The Virtues this Week, so I couldn't handle this again in the same week, but I will go back to it, because (laughs) uh, it's only four episodes, and uh, it's...
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18+. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: It is a powerful story and something I didn't know about. I don't know whether it's, for me, the script wasn't as strong or, and the character characterisation wasn't as strong as I'd perhaps hoped for. But maybe that grows in the coming episodes and I'll have to judge that for myself. But When They See Us is all on Netflix now. If you want to, you can binge it all as as is the Netflix way. All four of the shows we, we are
4: talking about, you can watch the entire series off now.
2: That was done on purpose, yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was with a lot of forethought and planning we managed that. We're halfway through. We've got uh, Boxmaster coming up at the end, so let's carry on with um, another streaming show. Good Omens from Tele-G- Terry Gillingham. No, it's no, not. What
4: am I talking no, about? No, talking Neil, about? Neil Gaiman.
2: I know it was one of the Gilliam, Gaiman people. Yeah, Neil Gaiman. Uh, this is the uh, the book of the same name, sort of made into a six part for Amazon, uh, fronted by David Tennant and Michael Sheen. This isn't in my wheelhouse, really. I mean, some people can get on board with this sort of fantastical world of of angels and demons and the apocalyptic things, and I'm I'm very much here for sort of you down to earth or gritty drama so this was a struggle for me and i don't feel i can add much to the conversation so get ready for the paul and matt show it's not really for me so um paul how much have you seen how big of a fan were you of the original material had you read it and and how does this stack up for you?
3: So I, I was I, I was not familiar with the with the book, but it is I know it is much loved the 1990 book by Terry Pratchett and uh, Neil Gaiman. I think uh, your response there is, is kind of uh, a useful bellwether because I, I'd say this is very much divided critics this uh, mm. adaptation, and I've I've seen some people raving about it, some people absolutely hated it, and I, what I've kind of concluded is that it's good if you like that sort of thing, you have to kind of buy into it. And it, if you, you know, obviously both these writers, Pratchett and Gaiman, both well-loved huge global fan bases and people who do buy into it. I think there's a lot, a lot to love here. What I, When I first started watching it, the first sort of, there are early scenes that are kind of set in this the Garden of Eden and it looks very, you know, shifting desert sands and it looks quite flaming swords and quite big and CGI. And I thought, oh, maybe this is sort of moving seamlessly into the Game of Thrones kind of slot. But then, of course, it quickly becomes much more uh, kind of quirky and and British in its humour, which is, which is, you know, I kind of enjoy that. So on one hand, it's got this epic scale. It kind of, you know, goes from Eden to Noah's Ark to the crucifixion and Nazi Germany and all these. But it kind of does that without losing this, Sort of peculiar English sense of whimsy,
4: mm. and you know oh, I a lot of it is much whim- more kind of
3: Monty Python I, than it I is was Game of
4: whim- Whimsical, as well, is is the word I would use to describe it. I I, I mean, for me, I I, lo- I love this. I I I'm a, was a massive Terry Pratchett fan growing up. I I love Neil Gaiman's sort of way that he sort of links in sort of modern Britain and this sort of fantastical element poking fun at sort of organized religion and all these bible stories you say early on you get the Noah's Ark thing and you know the the David Tennant character Crowley pointing out the sort of hypocrisy in that and I I love that sort of extended opening sequence where you see the Michael Sheen David Tennant characters sort of Throughout time, helping each other out and things like that. There's that brilliant scene, as you said, with the Nazis during World War Two, where it's uh, Mark Gatiss and Steve Pemberton, isn't it, playing these two yeah. Nazis? And... Yeah,
3: all could tell each other in it, aren't they? Yeah, which
4: is nice. Yeah, Reese was playing um, William Shakespeare, wasn't he, in, in that earlier yeah. sequence. Yeah. But yeah, for me, I, I absolutely love this. Um, it's not perfect by any means, but it has got this very sort. It is a very sort of British show at its heart. There's a lot of nice little gags. I thought Gaiman did a good job of updating it because obviously it was written in 1990. So there's a lot of little updates about sort of technology and things like that. There's a lot of supporting performances to to enjoy in it as well. And it just left me smiling at the end. Very, very warm hearted. As I said, with Killing Eve, you need TV like this to counterbalance the sort of the more stark reality things like this. I think for me, it reminded me a lot of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well, which is another thing that I, I love. I and think...
3: It's very because, Adams, isn't it?
4: Yeah, mainly because of the, of the sort of reliance on narration as well that both have in this. You had Francis McDormand playing the voice of God, which I think wound a lot of people up maybe the wrong way as well you know how could a woman be voicing god things like that i've seen right wing views on this that that i don't think it's needed really because this is just it is just a bit of fun really and i felt that Tennant and sheen sort of counterbalanced each other quite well i really like john hammers angel gabriel i don't know did you watch it to the end paul
3: no so i've seen the first half half of it yeah are
4: are you gonna go on to to watch the rest of it
3: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, Penance, it's kind of an outrageous performance. He plays this kind of loose lounge lizard rock star, approach, doesn't he? To mm. uh, it's like it very much reminds me of a young Bill Nye, actually, the way yeah. he plays it. Uh, interesting character because obviously he's supposed to, you know, help bring about the end of days, but he's kind of gone native and grown rather comfortable in his. Yeah, teams up with this angel, and uh, you know they're sort of the, the ultimate frenemies, aren't they? They kind of yeah. become. BFs over the year. and so they're teaming up to kind of stop stop the apocalypse coming about. Just just got you know, this demon Crowley just kind of really quite likes his life and thinks that the end of days might cramp his style. So it's quite funny in that way.
0: Armageddon's days away, and we've lost the Antichrist. We have to work together.
2: We have nothing whatsoever in common. I
0: don't even like you. You do <laughs> We don't find it,
3: filled with a the war to end everything.
0: The earth isn't going to just end itself. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are being summoned. War, pollution, famine, death.
3: Who exactly summons them? Not my department. We're doomed. Welcome to the end time. It's interesting because D- Douglas Adams, I think, and Python, neither of them dated particularly well. Remember when they made the Hitchhiker's film uh, about 15 years ago? It did feel like it was out of its time. And even this has got sort of jokes about Betamax and things, which makes you know it makes you think it, it maybe belongs to a kind of undergrad humour from another time. But then, in other ways, I think it's you know it's very smart and very witty and very fast and. Um, if you, if you will buy into this kind of thing, then you'll love it. I mean, I, I could not imagine my wife sitting through more than 10 minutes of this. <laughs> but, but you know, it's not for everyone, but... But yeah, if you buy into that Pratchett kind of world, then it, it seems like a very slick production.
4: And I think it's the best Pratchett adaptation that they've done on TV, I think, because Sky did a few, didn't they? A few of the Discworld ones, which were sort of successful yeah. to varying degrees. I think because you've got the Amazon money behind it as well, it's coming onto BBC Two, I believe, later in the year as well for people who want to watch it sort of weekly but i think if you want to watch it i think you will have already found it on amazon or or somewhere else on the internet this is like a sense of humor and uh, and and a world that i can sort of buy into
1: you're listening to the custard tv podcast the official podcast of the custard
2: i feel like we need to check whether paul's kids have started a jigsaw or taken up art or something like that <laughs> at this point as we reach the the end um okay so the final show is another streamer it's uh the return of black mirror we spoke at length at the start of the year about whether we liked bandersnatch or whether we hated it or whether we thought it was worthwhile but now we're back to the nor well normal is the wrong word but the sort of the normal format of black mirror um we there were four episodes three episodes actually that are now available that make up the fifth series of the Charlie Brooker, Annabelle Jones um, sort of show. And we chose to watch the one with Miley Cyrus entitled Rachel, Jack and Ashley 2. This is the story of a young girl who has lost her mother who is obsessed with a pop star played by uh, Cyrus. Cyrus and her team bring out a doll Sort of a, a robot, really, that can communicate with their fans, and uh... it's sort of like an
4: Alexa device, isn't it? To an yeah, extent, it is. Yeah,
2: of... I, I'm really worried about my Alexa now. I'm giving it, I'm giving it the evils every once in a while just to check what it's up to. <laughs> There's sort of two stories going on initially. You've got Rachel's story as the sort of lost soul without her mother. She lives with her elder sister and her father, who's obsessed with the perfect mousetrap, and uh, she sort of really latches on to Ashley as this sort of iconic figure and pop star that she really enjoys the music of. It's sort of tween, it's sort of Hannah Montana-esque music, oddly enough. And then on the other side, you've got the real character of Ashley, who is being raised by her aunt and is a really unhappy superstar and wants to write more contemporary ballads, but the aunt wants her to write this, this poppy stuff. And, uh... It's kind of a show of two halves, because it's that that I was quite invested in, and then she goes into a coma, spoiler alert, and all her thoughts are transferred to this Alexa device, and and it turns into sort of a Pixar Disney movie at that point, and I sort of went, hang on a minute, this is just completely tonally absurd.
3: I agree with you totally. It's very much a, a show of two halves, where um, you expect a kind of... You know, bleak dystopian. Kind of, I mean, Charlie Brooker, famously TV's most misanthropic man. So mm-hmm. you expect a certain, yeah, mm-hmm. dystopian vibe. And then uh, midway through, there's this handbrake's head, and it kind of becomes like John Hughes's Weird Science, doesn't it? It's kind <laughs> of. Uh, yeah. It, and it becomes really goofy. And when when the the mind of Miley goes into this walking Alexa, dot, it's like sort of, it's kind of sort of got a chucky element to it as well. Yeah, and um or something like more and more kind of... a short circuit or something like that. Short <laughs> circuit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It just made me think. You know, Charlie's he's got kids now. He's getting older. I just wonder if he's lightening up. He's going soft on us, which I don't know if it's even a bad thing. I, I kind of really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed the fact that it just got more and more crowd crowd pleasing as it went along. Because I, you know, I love a John Hughes movie, so um, e- every episode of Black Mirror doesn't doesn't kind of need to paint this uh, appalling vision of the future. Um, so there was that, but I, I still felt it had some kind of interesting things to say along the way. And, and, particularly young girls, selling them this false dream of self-empowerment and that if you just wish hard enough, you can... You know that Simon Cowell idea that all you need to do is believe in yourself and all your dreams will come true. So this is what Ashley, the Miley Cyrus character, was kind of selling to these kids when, of course, in in her own life, she had no control over her own destiny whatsoever. She was completely manipulated terrible manager aren't. So I thought that was a nice idea, this this sort of skewering this whole kind of self-empowerment dream kind of bullshit that we have at the moment. Um, But yeah, that was just sort of wrapped up in, yeah, as you say, pretty much a a make of short circuit by the end.
1: (laughs) Hey there, I'm Ashley too. It's so great to meet you, Rachel. Here too. I'll be here for you. I'll be here for you. She doesn't understand how fragile
3: all this is. You think I should up the dose?
1: Knock him
2: dead. We are believe in yourself. It's getting so hard to keep doing this. Yes.
0: Believe in yourself. Ashley, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself.
2: Believe in yourself. Believe in
0: believe yourself.
3: It. Believe in
2: yourself. No! Oh Get the cable out of
3: my ass. Pull it out. Fuck oh God, that's a relief. We are friends.
2: I felt a bit short changed because. I really thought the the young actress playing Rachel, I thought she was very good. I thought Miley Cyrus, who I hadn't really seen that much in a contemporary role, was very good. So when it did transform into the sort of John Hughes aspects, I felt like i had lost something, and it, it was almost as if they'd started another script halfway through, and I wanted to sort of be back with them. But I don't, I, I don't know, it was enjoyable, but whether it was memorable and exciting, I'm not sure. I suppose the other thing it
4: touched upon as well that Brooker was sort of um, pastiching was this new craze of reanimating pop stars who've died or, or actors who've yeah. died, you know, because once um, Ashley goes into the coma, her sort of manipulative aunt who's, who's drugged her uh, decides to um, go into her mind and try and get new songs released to an album and then reanimate her as this, this hologram um, who can sort of live through you know you can stream her on your phones. you can watch her live in concert and things like that there's a lot of small ideas in here that don't quite hang together but I agree with you Luke I thought Anjuri Rice I think is the actress's name who plays, who plays Rachel I thought she was very good you know playing this sort of girl who's lost her mother sort of lost her, oh. her way in life
2: was she in the nice guys with? Um... Yes, yeah, she was oh, Ryan Gosling's
4: daughter in the you. nice guys. She plays a sort of different character here, which I think I think she's she's very good in this. Um, yeah, there, there were bits of this that worked more than other bits, as you say. Yeah, they, it didn't all hang together, and I, I disagree with you to Miley Cyrus. I I didn't think she was particularly strong. I, I don't really rate her as an actress,
3: but good for Miley to know that brain death is necess- not necessarily a bug. Material though, isn't it? That's that's uh, no, a marker of no, so her future. If she's there. and it's
2: comforting, I'd imagine slip <laughs> slipping <laughs> yeah, into a absolutely. coma at any time and there not be a problem. We we pick that one at random, so there are other ones that start Andrew Scott as well. So if you want to go and look up Black Mirror, it's and the that, fifth
4: series. Is it Anthony Mackie as well as in the other yeah, one? Yeah, in the
2: other one, it's it's odd. I think it's fair to say, but it, it's if you can get past the oddities, it's 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 okay. It's enjoyable romp for an hour and a bit. Uh, Black Mirror is on Netflix now. Now, the reviews are good, but really why I turn up is to see how people do on Boxmaster. so let's <laughs> let's finish with that as as Paul takes on the ultimate TV quiz.
0: Okay, let's begin.
4: And we should say nothing to do with uh, Radio 2's Popmaster in any way. Um, Despite the, nothing the like name that at all.
2: and the format and, you know, apart from that, it's nothing like it, yeah.
4: Actually, we've had a, a couple of good scores recently, not to put you, you know, on uh, at all, Paul. But I think Nicole got 21 Very last time. 27 is the score to beat. Um, three points for the normal question six points for the bonuses the bonuses today you can pick in the one that Luke really wants to come up uh, who lives in a house like this or yes. the
3: or the other option is uh, join our club well uh, if, if Luke wants it who am I to deny him who lives in the <laughs> house
4: like this I'm oh. usually the one who denies him things so <laughs> okay,
3: right. I've right. been waiting for
2: this for, for uh, 13 <laughs> weeks now <laughs>
4: okay, so starting with, with some standard questions. Question number one. Which TV detective of the 1980s protected the estate of Robin Masters and was assisted by his manservant Higgins? Magnum. Well done, Magnum P.I. Who portrayed the character of Flash in Blackadder 2 and later in Blackadder Goes Forth? Uh, Rick Mail. Yeah. I thought I'd put that in there because I've seen today it's the fifth anniversary of his death so as, as we record today yeah,
2: as we record. just
4: to just to take everyone everyone down I saw it, he was twen- trending on Twitter and I wondered why so your first bonus who lives in a house like this yeah um, <laughs> I feel like we've hyped it up a bit too much now. <laughs> um. <laughs> Which British actor played Francis Urquhart in the original BBC version of House of Cards?
3: Um, It was Ian Richardson. Well done. Bravo.
2: He lived in a house like that. Yeah. Question number four.
4: (laughs) Bad Reputation by Joan Jett was used as a theme tune to which short-lived US TV
3: show? Oh. Um, bad reputation. Erm. Um, uh, uh, Dunno, pass. Luke?
2: Freaks and geeks.
4: Well done. We're on question number five. Who succeeded Terry Wogan as the host of Points of View in
2: 2008?
3: Was it. Uh, Anne Robinson?
2: No. Luke, any idea? Ooh. I thought it was Anne Robinson as
4: well. I think Anne Um, Robinson was prior.
2: It wasn't Dale Winton or somebody like that. No, it
4: it was Jeremy Vine.
2: Oh. I don't feel bad about not knowing that, as it turns
4: out. (laughs) Going back to Who Lives in a House Like This. Which HBO programme starring Kristen Bell and Don Cheadle centres around the world of
3: management consultants? Uh, I don't know, sorry. Luke, you you oh, trying to remember gonna, there, aren't you?
2: That's gonna <laughs> bug me. Well, I'll tell you, it's House of Lies. Oh, that was <sighs> a house that they live a house like that. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Qu-
4: question number seven is is the uh, the dreaded year question. Love, Joy, Bread, right. and Neighbours all debuted on BBC One in which year?
3: 1985. Oh, one year out.
4: 86. Oh. oh, God.
3: I love how contemporary
2: your questions are, Matt. This I week. know, I know.
4: Um, <laughs> what was the profession of Deni- Dennis Leary's Tommy Gavin in FX comedy drama Rescue Me?
3: Um, fireman?
4: Yeah, well done. Fireman slash firefighter, if you want to be gender neutral. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: No, he yeah please there. Paul don't let the side down you gotta be <laughs> doing it properly.
4: Question nine the final who lives in a house like this? Which famous TV house was completely destroyed earlier this year? Oh the big brother house? Well done. <laughs> Which member of a famous British group beat Les Dennis and Melinda Messenger to win the second series of Celebrity Big Brother in
3: 2002? Oh, that was Little Mark Owen. Well done.
4: <laughs> I haven't quite, quite topped the leaderboard, but I think you've come second with 24. Well done. Well done. Oh, well I'll take that.
3: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well you have to, it's, you. it's yours, you have to <laughs> own it.
2: Um, what's been the uh, best yeah. show of the year for you, Paul, this so far? Now, we're sort of midway through. Do you have a, a show that you've just latched onto and think this is the best I've seen this year yet? Yeah,
3: well, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry to be crashing the unoriginal because I know it's also the highest-rated show on IMDb ever, but yet yeah. I think, an I think. When you are kind of write about TV, you've got to ration the number of times you throw around terms like greatest ever because you know, you can only say it once really, but um, yeah. I do think it is a contender for the best TV drama ever made, you know, it, it, even if we can't answer it, we, we could ask the question, is this the best TV drama ever made? It is incredible, I just love it,
2: and and it wasn't a show that I was even going to watch, but it, I just saw the fanfare around it and thought, wow, this must be something special, and then watched the whole lot over a couple of days, and I have to admit, it's up there with some of my best TV I've ever seen, and, and that's quite something. So, And to think that it was written by the guy who wrote The Hangover Part 2 just adds more interest to me as to how that happened. I don't really uh, understand that. And directed by Sackabove. Sackabove, here we go again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so Direct- much behind the scenes going on. I mean, I would have preferred it if it was directed by Snow of Informer, but maybe he'll do oh, Hadaway. something else. Yeah, Hadaway needs to do another big-budget drama now. That <laughs> <Yes. laughs> he can find out what love is or something. I don't know. Um, where can people yeah, find uh, you, Paul, uh, if no, they want no, to find no. your writing or they want to follow you on Twitter? Where can people find
3: you? I, I, I'm around and about. You'll find me by the tills in Waitrose. <laughs> Waitrose What do you do? You just bag people's <laughs> groceries? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, they, they don't even pay me, but it just, you know, gets me out of the house. So, um, no, no the, I, I, yeah, Waitrose weekend, that's available by the tills in Waitrose. I'm in uh, Doctor Who magazine every month. I write um, for various other places. And on Twitter, I'm at PR Kirkley.
2: Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much. What I'd like you to do now is is hang up the court and tell the kids that the internet is theirs again.
3: Oh, they'll they'll fall on it like <laughs> like hungry wolves. Get back, on, <laughs> yeah. get back on those stamp, stampy Minecraft videos. Yeah. But oh, they'll be twitching a bit. So yeah, absolutely, that- I will.
1: We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email: custardtvreviews at gmail.com. <laughs>
2: Thank you so much to Paul for joining us. If you would like to either get in touch with us or be involved in the podcast in some way, you are more than welcome. Best way to do it is perhaps going uh, to, to uh, our email, custardtvreviews, that's with an S at the end, at gmail.com. Um, and also, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at LukeCustardTV and Matt is at Matt's TV Bites. And there is, of course, the official Twitter handle, uh, for the podcast, which is at Custard TV Pod, we'd also really appreciate it if you could uh, review us preferably favorably on iTunes or Apple Music or any of the podcast apps that you use, we'd be hugely grateful. We're across all of your devices, be that your aforementioned Alexa device. Or tune in, or Spotify. Just search for the Custard TV podcast. We're also on Facebook at the Custard TV and on YouTube as well, where Matt has placed some of our individual reviews for you to listen. You can look through the archives and find out what we thought about various shows. Uh, any other business, Matt?
4: No, I think you've done done a sterling job there, Luke.
2: Yeah, I didn't. I noticed I didn't take a breath at any point. I now feel a little do, bit like
4: you have spoken about how to listen to us, haven't you?
2: Are you saying I did a sterling job and yet you weren't fully engaged or listening? I heard most of it. <laughs> Where were you? You still sound like you're in the same place.
4: I am, I just sort of tuned out a little bit.
2: <laughs> oh, that's it's, quite still, a skill. it's still
4: early yeah. for me. I don't usually get up till about past ten on Sunday.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, OK. Uh, we'll be back soon. This has been another Crested TV podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.
1: Aww. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
4: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.
0: Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.